All right, so we're talking about fear, and we're going we're gonna to hit a whole bunch of topics today. There's a ton in this message, and as I said last week, you know, this week we're going to talk about the fear of death, and so, you know, it's either going to be packed in here or going to be, you know, empty. Well, you guys are here, so I'm happy. So thank you, and you guys joining online, I'm, I'm happy about that. I used to work at Canada's Wonderland, and uh, it was one of my first full-time jobs. I, I get to be there, and I was you know, the, the role that I had fit my personality perfectly because I'd be wearing one of these microphones and I'd be yelling at all you strangers trying to get you to give me money to play a stinking game that you're not going to win anything at. And that was my job. That's what I did. And uh, I actually was really nice because if it was a game that I knew the trick of, I would actually teach people the trick before letting them play. Um, and so I was really trying to give away as many plush as I could. Um, but it was my first time working for a corporation. And, uh, and every corporation, I mean, this is back in the 90s, but every corporation has a responsibility to care for the safety of their employees. That's kind of what they do. They, they know that there's inherent risk in putting a whole bunch of teenagers out of, among a huge park and say, run everything. You know, run the rides, run the games, run the, the you know, keep the, keep the place clean, um, do all of that. And it's just really a whole bunch of teens, like just a ton of teens. If you go to Wonderland ever again, um, then take a look at how many teenagers are running everything. You're like, whoa, cool. Um, and so they entrusted us. I was 16 years old when I worked there. But they also had this, this idea that you know, they really had to make us safe. And so we were very, very safety conscious. And so what we, did, what we had to do is we had a training. And it was like full on, they brought in an external company to come in and train us on safety. So we went through this crazy long lecture, and it was the most ridiculous things, is, um, is we went through this, this crazy long lecture about how to safely use a two-step stepladder. There it is. Using a two-step stepladder. We went through every safety label on the ladder. We went through every way that you can catch your finger or that you can stumble on it or that if you put it on an uneven surface, you might fall and break your face open. We went through everything for way too long. And all of us in the room are just like, what? Like, seriously, guys? I've been using a two-step ladder since I was like an infant, like parks have these ladders in, like this is not hard people. So then finally that wrapped up. But the next day we come to work, there's a training session and the same trainers there. And we're like, okay, we got this. We're, we know it's safety stuff. Of course, safety is important. And uh, wow, they trained us on how to use Windex safely. How to use Windex safely. Now, this was the first time I'd ever heard of WMIS, which is very important in a lot of settings. You need WMIS and MDS sheets, and you need MMD, MFDS sheets. You need them to be able to understand what chemicals you're working with and all that stuff. But here we are, we're in a training session about how to use Windex. There it is, people. Windex. I'm 16 years old. I'm pretty sure I've used Windex lots in my life, and I pretty much knew that you, don't, you turn the thing and don't spray it at your face. Like, that's what you need to know. Don't, don't spray it at your... No, it was a full training session. It was a colossal waste of time and a colossal waste of uh, Paramount Canada's Wonderland uh, money. And maybe that's why Paramount doesn't own Wonderland anymore. But this was a response to an awareness of a threat. 
The threat was that these employees of this corporation might actually spray Windex in their co-workers' eyes. That was the threat. And the way that we respond to the threat was to train them so that they don't spray Windex into their co-workers' eyes. Oh, we also, that was, when, that was the first time I ever actually was forced to use safety glasses for anything. I had to use, we had to use safety glasses to use Windex so that you couldn't even spray it in their eyes. But this was the threat. And this was the reaction to the threat. Thank you very much. My wife is already roasting me. I expected that on Slack. Thank you. Um, so she is now reminding everybody how my daughter had two broken arms uh, about a couple months ago. And the way she got broken arms was falling off of a two-step step ladder. <laughs> Anyways, so thank you. Um, but she's fine. She's sitting here without cast. She's just fine. Um, so, so this is this is why. I mean, we do we do need to we do need to mitigate for rest for for the risks that are in front of us, and and that's true. We do. So, fear is the topic we've been talking about for a couple weeks now, and today we're we're continuing on, and next week on on Easter Sunday we're going to continue on. But fear is the awareness of the threat that's going to affect your normal life. And that awareness may be a visceral awareness. It might be something that, that you don't even, like, it's, it might not be cognitive. It's a, it's a visceral awareness, but you actually know that there is a threat. You're aware of it. And how you respond to fear can vary. There's a lot of different responses to fear, and some of them we actually have just collapsed into one term. You're fearful. You're afraid, Right? But there's a ton of different responses to fear. Let's look at them. So you can have terror. There is a threat and you feel terror. Everything about you is completely consumed with the terror of threat. You can be scared, which is slightly less than terror, but it's still there. You can, you can feel worried about a threat. Or you can feel anxiety. But you can also feel, you can know that there's a threat, and then you can employ caution. That's what we did with the stepladders after we went through this crazy, you know, training. And it was only crazy because of the length of it. But you've got this caution where it's like, okay, we want to make sure that that stepladder is there. And so you, you don't go in and throw down the stepladder and then jump up it and, you know, pirouette off of it. You put it down properly, and then you use it properly. So you use caution. That is a response to the awareness of a threat. You can be confident. You can be resolved in, in a response to the awareness of threat. You can be determined. You can be brave or courageous or bold and secure. All of these different responses are appropriate responses to different types of threats. So fear is the awareness of a threat, and then we have all of these options in which we can respond to the threat that's there. We can say, all right, I see there's a threat, and now I have a response. But then what do we do? How do we get to that response? We get to that response through what we believe about that threat. Our belief systems, our worldviews, our understanding of reality inform 
almost instantaneously our response to a threat. What we believe underpins our visceral reaction to the threat. Also, what you believe about a threat, if what you believe changes, your reaction will change. If what you believe changes about a certain threat, your reaction changes to it. So today we're focusing on the fear of death. Okay, so death is 100% reality for everybody in the future. Hopefully far away, people. Hopefully far away. And what I've noticed is that our culture doesn't seem to have a strong death narrative. In fact, we don't talk about it much. Our North American culture um, is, is a culture that is significantly shaped by the fear of death. We, we do this, and it's, it's actually through this really interesting way, we do it through anti-aging processes, refusal to talk about death, discomfort that you feel now because I am talking about death, complete and utter shock when someone dies, not knowing how to talk to somebody who is grieving. All of these are symptoms of our culture, of our lack of a cultural narrative about death. We don't know what to say to somebody who's grieving because we don't have a narrative to reinforce. We find it challenging to talk about death because everything about us is try to stay young, try to stay healthy, try to stay avoiding death. And so we don't have a good narrative. Um, so, someone says that anytime you see a safety label saying not to do something obviously dangerous, just remember, the label is there because someone did it. I was actually looking at my, uh, at my, at my McDonald's cup the other day, and it was like, caution, the drink you are about to drink is extremely hot. And I was like, duh. Somebody needed that label. Someone somewhere needed that label. Um, but you're, this, is, this is what we, we have. The fear is an awareness of a threat that's going to affect your normal life. So enough of my preamble. Let's get into Scripture. 2 Timothy 1, 7 to 10 is the passage we've been using for the past while because it's walking through different fears. And I'm just going to highlight them for us as we go through the verse today. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, that's fear of rejection, but share in suffering by the power, um, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us according to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. There it is, that's fear of failure. That's, that's how we mitigate fear of failure right there. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. All right, so on Slack, what do you think Paul means when he says abolished death and brought life and immortality to light? I just want to hear what you guys what you guys think of that? What, is, what does Paul mean? I mean, 
The, the Christian's given a stark invitation to contrast the spirit that's filled with fear about death with a spirit that's full of power. And so how do we see this, this abolished death and brought life and immortality to light? How do we understand that? What does that mean? The, the Christian, I'm sorry, in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says something. It used to be my favorite verse back when I was like a teenager. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's just a cheery verse, right? Don't fear the death of just the body, but consider where you will live eternally. Wow, okay. So, so what we have here is, is this abolishing death and brought life and immortality to light. There are two narratives about death that cultures hold around us that aren't the same as the Western narrative. So I started off by saying that, you know, our culture does not have a strong death narrative. But there are two, there are two cultures, both of them in the East, uh, Middle Eastern worlds. Well, actually, sorry, one is in East. That, that was ridiculous. One is in the Middle East. Um, this first one happened on February 2nd. 2022. President Biden sent a group of, I believe it was an, of, uh, it was just a, a special ops mission on February 2nd, 2022. And it was a mission to eliminate the leader of ISIS. So you might remember this, and it was all over the news. We're going to, the, the mission was that the leader of ISIS, they had tracked down to living in the third-story building of a, it was a residential triplex. Typically, in order to not bring risk to American soldiers' lives, they would have just dropped a drone strike and tried to, uh, tried to eliminate the leader. But because of the value of life, they decided that they needed a more precise act and they needed to drop a team in. And so they, they risked, they took the risk to put in a whole team and say, this is, what we, this is what we have to do. We're going to take out the leader of ISIS. So they take this, they, they bring the team in and they approach the triplex and they let the other residents know to evacuate the area because this is coming. And so in, in fly the helicopters and the leader of ISIS is in his living room with his wife and children. And as the soldiers approach, the living room explodes into thousands of pieces, and there are pictures of it. The, the third story is caved in, and the man and his wife and his children are all dead. The intent was just to get the man, but... The man decided wife and children are all die. And we look at that and say, this is, the, the, the news report was like, this is cowardice. This is unthinkable that a man could kill his family. This is, this is wrong and it's terrible and I'm not going to disagree here. 
But what I want to note is this man had a different death narrative than we have. His perception of death was informed by a different belief than ours was. And it changed how he approached death. And it also changed how his family approached death. So the, the ISIS narrative of death is this, that Allah is going to set up a global caliphate, a global rule in which all the world will submit to Allah by militant force. That's why, they're called mili that's why they're called Islamic extremists. Because they believe in the use of militant force to ensure that, that this caliphate will be set up. And that's why people are like, whoa, that's not proper Islam, and that's something else. That's extremist. That's wrong. That's the enemy. But this is what he believes. The next thing that he believes is that, is that he is going to be rewarded and his family will be rewarded after death for their faithfulness to the cause unto violent death. They believe that there is a better reward in the afterlife for those who are killed in the process of making this global caliphate happen. So from his perspective and his family's perspective, they're stepping from this life, which is a struggle and a fight, into greater reward. And that is the motivator. That a changed. It was a narrative that I don't agree with, but it was a narrative that changed the approach to death. North American, we don't have a narrative. We don't have a common narrative. We have many different narratives, and most of them are try not to die. Death is always bad. And so, so while North American Muslims do, these, these Muslims who are attached to ISIS do not. They have a very strong narrative. So what do we think that, that Paul means when he says that Paul, that, that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Um, so, wow, lots of, lots of answers here. Death as we, as, as we understand when we don't know Jesus is scary. Like the song says, the worms go in and the worms go out. Ooh. <laughs> right? Um, is it possible to not fear death, but to fear the pain our death will leave behind? Absolutely. What a great question. It is absolutely possible because there's there's two threats there's a threat to death myself but then there's also a threat to the implication of what happens to those who are left behind that's a threat to their normalcy that i am now concerned about so you're right that is something that's there and we do really need to um, offer that to god and say okay god this is this is what we do um So when you talk about things in the open and include the person in the convo if necessary, so things aren't hidden in secrets, where my brain went with this. When death was defeated, it highlighted that there's no more, uh, that there is more to life after death, and you can and you bring it to light by talking about it more often. So really, really good point. You know, abolishing death and and bringing it to light. Excellent work. The second story I want to talk about a death narrative comes from the Russia-Ukraine conflict. 
So around eight weeks, sorry, yeah, it's six weeks I think we're in to the, to the, to the Russia-Ukraine conflict, but right at the beginning, CNN was right on the ground, right? I believe they still are, but I haven't watched as much. CNN is right on the ground. And they're talking to civilian soldiers. It was when they were recruiting all the civilians. They said the women and the children can flee, but the, but the men, we need them to fight, even though they're not trained. And they were, they were going to be lining up at the guns depot that the CNN reporters were not able to disclose anything. It was just like this green background. It could have been anywhere. And, uh, and, and they're interviewing these men who were showing up. And they talked about their solemn willingness to fight a superpower and repeatedly heard from these civilian soldiers is stuff like, there is no greater honor than to fight for our nation. We're not going to fear death. We don't fear Russia. We will be victorious and we will stand. Their narrative about death and their approach to death fundamentally changed. So... So this, is, this was what they got to. They were like, what they believed about death changed their response to it. Now, this is all groundwork. This is all groundwork. I'm not su suggesting that we just, you know, have this random nationalistic view on death and be like, yeah, I'm going to die for my country, which can be very, very great. And honor these men who have, who have committed their life to fight against um, this invasion in their nation. But there was something in their narrative that changed their approach from being afraid to die or afraid of the actions that might lead to their death into approaching it with bravery. And we salute that. That's what we do. We salute it. Now, in Canada, we've grown up in a peaceful nation. It's been over 150 years since there has been an invasion on our soil. It's been over 80 years since we have, since the Great War that defined generations before us. World War II, World War I. And so we live in a peaceful nation. So how do you think peace has affected our narrative about death? How might that have played in? See, someone just asked me on Slack, is the absence of fear what we're supposed to achieve as Christians? And if fear is the awareness of a threat, then the absence of fear would not be what we're trying to achieve. Because that would be just willful blindness. If there is a threat of death, we're not just trying to ignore it, but we're trying to have a strong enough narrative to be able to respond courageously to it. Fear is the awareness. Our response is informed by what we believe. Fear is the awareness of the threat. And so, no, we're not trying to get to a place where we're just, you know, have no fear. Because then we're just simply saying we're not aware of threat. And so... This is, this is interesting. I asked, how does peace affect narratives around death and injury? And someone says, it may be smaller, but as we live here in a fairly peaceful place, I'm taking this more as a call not to be fearful, fearful of people not liking me, fearful of not sharing my faith, fear of consequences of loving my neighbor. And it's true, those are the things that we 
that, that we're like, okay, we're aware of those threats and they pick up in our life. And they create anxiety and they stop us from loving properly. But even when we come to the fear of death, Christians have a better narrative. But I'm afraid we've forgotten it. Or we don't believe in it. So, beautiful story. I was just about to move on, but beautiful story. Someone says, as an unbeliever, my mother died suddenly when I was 22, and I had ovarian cancer at 24. It caused me to have an overwhelming fear of death. I would cry myself to sleep, so afraid of dying. On Good Friday, at 30 years old, after attending church for several months, I recognized that I was a sinner, no doubt there, and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and that fear was immediately removed as I've never experienced that fear since then, or even that reaction to that fear, that paralyzing terror that death is imminent. And Jesus comes and offers something different. Christians have a better death narrative. This is why Paul brings the discussion to the Corinthian church about, about the death narrative. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 24. But in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. We're on Palm Sunday. We're going to be a good Friday. On Friday, we need to be here to talk about Jesus' death. But the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, there's a promise there. For as by a man came death, Adam... By, also, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each to his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. Resurrection is the narrative that Christians have that overcomes the fear of death. But we made resurrection into something very ethereal. Oh, we'll see them on the other side. We went very Greek with our understanding of resurrection. We went to the, Le the Elysian fields. It's just this like wondery thing. Or we went mystical. Our spirit just connects with the energy of the world and we kind of exist this is not the resurrection that the bible talks about the resurrection that the bible talks about is resurrection in physical form it is a you and a me walking around talking and eating living and continuing to love. It is a resurrection of a full and abundant life, an eternal life. The resurrection that Jesus talks about, that, that Jesus went through, that Paul talks about, we see is something that's very different, a narrative of hope that says, even though I may perish here, my life will continue on at the resurrection. And as Christians, this is the, God, the good news. That Jesus came to set you free from the power of death. 
And we go, oh yeah, it'll be nice that I'll see him one day up in heaven. In the clouds, playing harps with wings. And we've taken our only hope. Jesus, Paul says later on in, in, in Corinthians 15, if the resurrection of the dead is not for real, then your entire faith is void and vain and useless. So we have adopted the spirit of our age. Oh no, I might die. And everything is about making sure that I don't die. Just don't die. We've adopted the spirit of the age, the spirit of fear, instead of holding on to that which God has promised us, which is a spirit of resurrection, a genuine Jesus is the first fruits. He is the ultimate proof. The one who rose again victorious is the ultimate proof that we too will rise again. And when we let go of that narrative, we hold on to another narrative of the preservation of life, then we all of a sudden start to respond to the threat of fear differently. We respond to the threat of fear the same way the world does. The threat of death the same way the world does. See, what we want to do is we need to see that our eternal life is literal. It's a given. So someone says it's not about our lack of fear, it's about what we do with it. Do we move forward despite the fear? Do we know that, that we believe what will happen is not in fact the outcome will be? We need to rest in the belief that God is in control. And yes, God is in control, but we also, when we're approaching the fear of death, we also have to rest in the fact that we will be raised again. It's concrete. It's real. And sometimes we look at it like it's a fairy tale, like it's not real. And it changes the way that we approach the threat of death. Why do we adopt the spirit of the age when it comes to death? Why do we choose this? What do you guys think? I'd love to know. Why do we take on the fear that exists in the world when God has offered something better? Why do we do that? Fear is the awareness of a threat that's going to affect your normal life. There are so many references to stronger Christian narrative around death in Scripture. Look at this. To live is Christ and to die is gain. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Paul says, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Have we forgotten these things? Have we forgotten it? Can we have boldness? Can we have boldness in the face of the threat? The solution to the fear of death is to embrace God's mission in life. If we want to be set free from the fear of death, 
we need to truly consider what resurrection is and what it implies for us as physical beings. So if we live in the forever tomorrow, let's live fully today. If we can place our trust that God will resurrect us in the last day, then we can live fully today with boldness and confidence in the face of threat. Not being foolish, but living with a greater purpose than death avoidance. We live for the purpose of the glory of God, for the love of each other and the care for the creation that God's given us. We live with the purpose that's beyond our death. We live connected with our history and our future because of the eternal work of God. And we live with the eternal value of God's mission to the world. We choose to live because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I invite you to come back on Good Friday as we consider how Jesus approaches the threat of death in his own life. Let me pray. God, I just thank you so much that you are working to build in us a narrative that's different than the narrative that the world holds. It's a process. It's not a switch that we just, oh yeah, that, that just makes it all better. But an understanding, a deep and true understanding that the Christian hope is built into resurrection and eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits. We too will be made like him, rising from the dead. And as a, in a scientific world, we sound a little bit crazy. But you, God, are the one who has done it in the person of Jesus. We have historical evidence. We have the narrative come down. We have a true, genuine, we have these witnesses who said, yes, this is exactly what happened. And so, Jesus, we put our trust in you, our trust in this life and for an eternity where you will be with us making all things right. This is what it means to hold fast to the confession of our faith. So give us a better understanding of your mission, of your narrative, so that we can respond to threat here more appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being a part of us today and part of Promise Church, and we pray that God blesses you and have yourself a wonderful rest of the week. God bless.